Those were great. Rob was a little bit worried there on the welcome because he said, always the song leader will say, what do I say in the welcome? And I told him, I said, just say welcome and then move on. And so, but that felt kind of funny, I know. So glad you're here tonight. Glad you're with us. It has been a good two weeks in so many ways. Last week, we were, we had lots of folks in here because we were doing our special Ukraine service. And I just got an email on the way here that it is, it's done. And so we will see it very, very shortly. Jack Prather and some others have been working on it and editing it. And so it's going to be great. I know it's going to be great as, as long as the microphone isn't near where I was singing and they hear all of you instead. So uh, that will be up and out here shortly. And we will have more information for you very, very quickly about that within the next day or two. So tonight we are starting, we really started this series a couple of weeks ago and then we stopped the second week. So we're saying tonight we're starting about glimpses of God on TV. Now I'm not going to go through every show on television obviously, but we're going to go through a few different ones and some of my favorites. And uh, tonight we're going to do one that you might have to be a little bit older to know and if you are, you know it. It's, well, it's just go ahead and show it. It's Gilligan's Island. And so I thought that no one had ever done a sermon on Gilligan's Island, and I told Roy Smalling last week what I was going to do, and he did a whole series on Gilligan's Island one time. So you might want to hear his series rather than just my one time. I think Gilligan's Island only deserves one sermon, and then we move on from it. So, but most would not, preachers would not even give it one sermon, right? But there are some important things to think about. There are spiritual applications we can make from different television shows and whenever we watch movies and like we did earlier or listen to songs when we are in the secular world so to speak i want us to be thinking about god and to put lessons there so that we're not living two different lives a secular life and a christian life but instead we see that those two things come together and so that's why i do these little series the way that i do and so tonight, you know, the big question that everybody asks about Gilligan's Island is, you know, why could they do about anything but they couldn't get off the island, right? If you, you can Google this if you want to, you may, some of you will right now, even though I'm not encouraging you to, but you can Google the, the, the craziest things that they invented on the island. I mean, they even, the professor invented jet fuel. Can you believe that? But he still couldn't get off the island. A young Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell was on that show. Some of you may remember it. Somehow Kurt Russell was able to leave in a, in a balloon. And so, but nobody else could get off. Remember there was a pilot named Wrongway something that somehow flies in and flies out, but yet the cast can't get off the island. Even the Harlem Globetrotters found a way to get there. But Gilligan and the professor and Skipper, Marianne, Ginger, the house, and professor, I do know all of them, they can't get off the island. Well, it seems kind of odd. They couldn't. But maybe the problem is they were making it too difficult. They were maybe thinking too deeply about it when really sometimes all we need to do is be simple. And you've heard me say this before. It's why when my girls were younger, I would ask them things, kind of biblical questions, not trivia questions, but I mean things about asking people to church how you would do that or, or about faith or whatever it may be. 
because I wanted to hear these simple answers from them that often were much better answers than what I could find in books or come up with myself. Because Bible concepts are simple. They're really simple. Now, rest assured, there are things in the Bible that are really difficult. I mean, when you start talking about those Nephilim when they're on the earth before the flood and things like that, well, that you can just speculate all day long. There are things that are difficult. Trying to explain God, for example, God in relationship with the Son and relationship with the Holy Spirit, that can get really, really deep. You might have heard me say this before, but my dad used to say that the first sermon he ever preached 10 days after he was baptized, his sermon was on the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he said he never preached on it again because that was the only time in his life he really understood it. And so then he didn't understand it anymore because those things are really hard. But just simple faith, just simple understanding of the scripture is not difficult. And so why do we miss it? And we do miss it sometimes, kind of like Gilligan's Island that the folks that couldn't figure out a way to get off the island. The professor could build anything if he had some coconuts and bananas, but he couldn't get them off the island. Well, maybe the issue is we overcomplicate things. We try to make it harder than it is rather than just read it and see what it says. But instead we bring in this and that and something else and we just make it difficult. Sometimes maybe the reason that we miss it is because we don't want to obey it, right? And so I'm not going to read it because if I read it, then I would have to obey it and therefore I'm going to ignore it. In our pantry, we have some crackers and cookies sometimes. And what I have learned is, you know, one side of the box will just be like an ad for whatever you just bought and, you know, for, for extra spicy crinkled crackers or whatever it is. But on the other side of the box, on the side, it gives you the calories and fat and all that. Whenever I go to, <laughs> well, Barbara's on the secret now, I'm in trouble. When I go to the pantry, I make sure those are turned around so you just see the advertisement and you don't know how many calories are in things. Because if I don't know, it doesn't hurt me, Right? If I don't know, it's all diet food. Matter of fact, it's burning up calories if I will eat those cookies. Sometimes people don't want to obey God, and so therefore they're not going to read the Bible, and they're going to make up a thousand excuses why, the, the, why they don't know. Well, if you ever read that thing, you wouldn't believe it. Have you ever read it? Well, no. Exactly. Because if you did read it, you would and understand it and have and, and walked all the way through it. You might believe more than you did. I think about um, I just lost his name. Somebody's probably going to call out call it out to me. The man who used to do Does God Exist? Who was an atheist and he his wife would go to church and he would what's his name? John Clayton. That's right. He was a high school teacher in Indiana. I think taught at Notre Dame later and. And he would say he didn't believe in the, in the Bible, and his wife would go to church, and she said, just read it. And after he read it, all at once the man becomes a Christian, and he goes around the country with this whole series of lessons about does God exist? Well, sometimes we just don't want to obey it. Sometimes we're afraid of it. 
Because if I read God's word, if I were to walk into a church building, or if I were somehow to become a Christian, what would happen to me? Would I at once start wearing funny clothes if, if that happened? You know, would I become Amish or whatever we might think, this, these ideas that we imagine in our heads? What would happen? So I'm afraid, oh, I would have to change my lifestyle. I'd have to change the way I live. Maybe I would lose my relationships. And so therefore, we back away from the gospel because we're afraid of it. And sometimes I just don't read it because I am protecting someone or something. If I were to find out that Jesus is the way and my grandmother was not a believer and follower in Jesus, then I would have to have this question about what does God do with my grandmother. I might even find out that God would want something from me and I've got enough on my plate, so I'm not going to think about that. You know, I've got to go to work. I've got a job. I've got kids I've got to take care of. You know, this crazy economy. You know, I've got to fill my car up, whatever people say. They're trying to protect themselves or they're trying to protect someone that they love. Now, there are a thousand reasons, but those are probably enough for you uh, to hear tonight. But Jesus is straightforward about faith. He doesn't make this difficult. It's just simple when he talks about faith. In John chapter 11, for example, in verses 25 and 26, when Jesus is dealing with a woman and he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Well, yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Well, he's straightforward about belief, right? If you want to live forever, you have got to believe in Jesus. And what he's saying here is not just believe in Jesus, but in Jesus as Messiah, in Jesus as Son of God. This is more than saying that I believe that Disney World is in Orlando. It's more than that. This is saying, I believe. I want to follow. I want to be a part of you, Jesus. I want whatever you want. That's what he's saying here. And so that's a part of it. He's, he's made eternal life really simple. So you remember that Nicodemus came to Jesus one night. It was dark. It was late at night. Nicodemus was one of the leaders of the Jewish people, a member of what they called the Sanhedrin. And so he comes to Jesus in John chapter 3 and, and has that conversation at night with Jesus. And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Could it be any clearer? And so we say, well, what about, he says, you must be born again. Now we understand that this is baptism imagery that he's using here. And he uses this imagery in, in Acts and in Romans and uses it in Colossians. And the same type of thing that he's talking about here, he's saying that's really important. 
coming to Christ and being reborn, being baptized into Christ. And so sometimes we'll say, well, what about the person that wasn't baptized into Christ? And so that becomes the big thing. Well, you read that, and what about the person? And what I would say to that is, leave that to God. Because you're reading this right now, and this is about you and God and what this scripture says. God will deal with that, and we pray for grace for whoever it is, whoever is important to us. We pray for grace for them, but I've got to read this for me. And what it's saying to me is the same thing that it said to Nicodemus that night. That unless a man or a woman is born of water and the spirit, they cannot inherit the, inherit the kingdom of God. That's not rocket science. That's pretty simple. You must be born again to inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says it again at the, at the end. You must be born again. This is not difficult. This is simple. And so we think of all the questions we could ask. Well, what if a person were on their way to the church building and on their way, they're going to be baptized and they die in a wreck on the way there? Leave that to God. What if they were walking down the aisle and they had a heart attack right there? Leave that to God. We could come up with an answer. You, I could have an answer. You can have an answer. And in the end, we still just have answers we don't know the answer to. Questions we don't have answers to, maybe. Maybe that's better. Leave it to God. What does it say for me? He says, you must be born of water and the Spirit. And so it's really simple. It's, not, it's just not hard. And so the greatest commands aren't hidden in the Bible. Can you imagine if we were like on this big quest to find, okay, what are the greatest commands of all that Jesus had? If you take Jesus or you take Moses or you take Noah or God or whoever's inspired, Paul, whoever, and say, now what are the greatest commands? And we'd go on this big quest and then we could have this Bible discussion and I could have a series of lessons called the greatest, the greatest commandments in the Bible that we discovered. But Jesus doesn't even make it difficult. Instead, you remember a lawyer asked him a question, Matthew chapter 22, verses 30, in verse 37. Teacher, what is the greatest law, greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. It's not hard, is it? It's simple. Love the Lord your God with your entire being and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, sometimes it might be difficult implementing those things, but do you know why it's often difficult to implement, like love your neighbor as yourself? Because I really don't love my neighbor. And so I'm trying to find ways around it. So you know what the original audience would often do? The original audience would say, okay, well, who is my neighbor? Because they wanted to make sure they didn't, they didn't give any love to anybody that wasn't their neighbor, right? Which was really a reason to torment anybody that wasn't a Jew at the time, anybody who they considered their enemy. Jesus says, love the Lord your God. With all your heart, soul, strength, mind, being, 
and love your neighbor. It is just simple. It is not rocket science again. I guess rocket science must be really difficult because people always say that, right? I, I would not know, to be quite honest. And so what does the Christian life look like? Lots of sermons have been preached on this and sometimes to be creative because we have to come up with 52 or if you have Sunday night, 104 sermons a year, we'll think about different aspects of the Christian life and they're good and important and, 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 and we ought to look at different things. This isn't difficult either. I hate telling you it's, it's so easy because then it makes my job not look so hard. I want you to think I have a really tough job. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26. This is what it looks like. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. <clears throat> so what does it mean to live a Christian life? Well, this is what's to come out. This is to be the fruit. We're loving, we're joyful, we're peaceful, we're self, we have self-control, we're kind, we're good, we're faithful. All these things. Wouldn't you want to live next door to someone that was like that? Wouldn't you want to live next door to a person that was joyful and kind and loving and had self-control? Wouldn't you want that to be your neighbor or your coach or your boss or your spouse, or your child, or your parent, whoever it may be. Wouldn't you want to be around people like that? And could it be that part of the problem in the world today is people that profess Jesus don't look a thing like this passage in Galatians? Could it be that that's part of the issue? The people come on Sunday morning, they come on Sunday night, they may watch on Sunday morning or Sunday night, they may go to a small group, whatever it is, they don't look a thing like Galatians chapter 5. And then people say, I am not impressed at all with Jesus if that's what it looks like. You remember Gandhi years, years ago from India, Gandhi said, you know, I like Jesus, but it's Christians that I have the problem with. So if we're to live the Christian life, it's just not hard. It's not hard to understand what it is. It's to have love and joy and peace and, and patience and those other things. There's also no mystery to the mission. Mission is straightforward, right? Jesus was about to go back into heaven. Oh, I'm losing papers. Jesus is about to go back into heaven. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. He gives the mission. You've heard this a thousand, a thousand million times. Jesus came to his apostles and he said to, him, to them, oh, let's go back to that really quickly. There we go. I mean, they want, it. they want to read it. So, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. 
and surely I will be with you always, even until the end of the age or end of the world, depending on your translation. Go and tell. That's the message of the mission. It's not difficult. It's simple. It's easy. Go and tell. Now, you may say it's not so easy to go and tell. It's hard. And some of you say, well, I can't go to another country. It doesn't say you need to go to another country. You may need to, but most of us don't need to. We just need to go and tell people around us. Go and tell. So years ago, I was in a car with some, before I moved here with other ministers. We're in the car going to lunch one day. The the radio's on, and it was when we lived in Oklahoma, it was a sports channel that was on, and I don't know if we were listening or if it was just loud, and all at once it caught us, and we were headed to this restaurant called Johnny's, and it said at Johnny's, tell them that you heard it on the sports animal, and you will get a free piece of pie, and they had really good pie. One of the ministers got so excited, and you'd go to Johnny's, and you'd line up, and there would be 25 people in those days in line. Now there's one. But back in those days, it was like 25 people in line. And one of those ministers, I still remember, went all the way down the line saying, tell them you heard it on the sports animal, and you'd get a free piece of pie. I'm sure they ran out of pie that day. But wouldn't it be be exciting if we were excited to tell just one person about Jesus. Let me tell you the life that you can live, a life of love, a life of peace, a life of patience, all those things that are so difficult. If you just come to Christ, you can have a life that you've wanted, that you've always dreamed about. You can have the hope of heaven, what you've always wanted, you could have. So this is Christianity that's summed up in five, five simple words. And the first one is believe. Because we've got to believe. It's a key element to the whole thing. So we talked earlier about baptism. Well, you can be baptized, but if you don't believe, you, all you've done is taken a bath without any soap, right? That's all, that's all it is. Somebody throw them a bar of soap. We've got to believe in Jesus. We believe he is the Messiah. We believe he is the hope. We believe he is the one who will claim us and take us home. We've got, to, we've got to trust. It's more than just believing, as we talked about before, but it is trust. I'm putting all my trust here. I'm not going to say, okay, I'm a Christian today, and tomorrow I'm a Buddhist, and the day after that I'm a Hindu, and the day after that I'm something else. No, it's about being all sold out to Christ. I'm going to trust him. And so if I find myself living in a place like Houston where life is pretty simple, I trust him. And I don't give in to all those other things that can take me away from my trust. Things like money and recreation and nice weather that could take me away from Jesus. I don't do that. I put my trust in Jesus. Or if I'm in Ukraine, I don't put my trust in even my nation or in bullets or whatever. My trust is in Jesus. Wherever I live, my trust is in Jesus. And then another one of those words is love. You remember the greatest commands. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, might. To love your neighbor. That this should be what Christianity looks like. This is what Christianity looks like. Let me put it that way. But it is not what all people who profess Jesus look like. 
So if you were to ask people in your office, or even ask people in your family, wherever you go, neighbors, whoever it is, am I a person that is known by my love? Would you say that I'm a loving person? And if what you hear is, no, you're a gripey, hateful person, then you are not living like what Jesus called you to be. It does not matter how many times you come to this building. It doesn't matter. We are to be people of love, people who think about other people, not even people that just stay to ourselves, but people of love. And then we live it. We live it. We live the love. We live the trust. We live our belief. We live. And we do what Jesus wants. Next week, we're going to talk more about what this looks like, but we live for Christ. And so now, instead of thinking, I am, I am an American that happens to be a Christian, instead of saying, I'm an engineer, oh yeah, and I'm also a Christian, instead of saying that I'm retired and I'm a Christian, or whatever it is you say, you say, no, I'm a Christian that happens to be an engineer. I'm a Christian that happens to be retired. I'm a Christian first. I'm a follower of Jesus before anything else. I'm a follower of Jesus before I am Barbara's husband. I'm a follower of Jesus before I am the father of my children. I'm a follower of Jesus first. You see, when we start living that way, the world looks a whole lot different, but this is what Jesus called us to. And then I share it. I share it. When I share it, I can't help but talk about it. Somehow it just oozes out. For those of you who are grandparents, and I've learned this from talking to grandparents, you always talk about your grandkids. I mean, you talk about your grandkids to people at the gas station who, who have earphones in on, you know? You talk to them anyway. Wouldn't it be something if we were that way with Jesus? That I just want to talk about him. I just want to tell you how great he is. And people might think we're a little strange, but let me tell you, it can make a difference. There's a man I know who is a preacher that years ago, he was... He was out of school. He went on a dream trip of where he was going to ride his bike with some other friends of his across Europe. I would be willing to go across Europe in a train, but he did it on a bike. And they stopped at a rest stop one day, and they were in Spain or Portugal, somewhere like that. And, and while they were there, the other guys were inside a little store, and he was outside working on his bike. And two, two other bikers came by. They were from some organization. And they said... To this guy, do you know Jesus? That sounds like kind of a corny question, doesn't it? They said, do you know Jesus? And he said, what? So they repeated it again. Do you know Jesus? He goes, I've really never thought about it. Well, by this time, the other guys are coming out and they said, and they said, come on, hurry, we got to go. He goes, no, I want to talk to these guys. They go, we've got to go. We've got a long way to go. So he gets on his bike and he leaves. And when he got home, he called his sister and said, I had this weird experience. Talk, talk all about Europe. But he said, I had this weird experience that I was asked, do you know Jesus? And he said, I thought, I don't know. 
And she said, you know what? I just started going and named the, the name of the place, the such and such Church of Christ. And I was just baptized there. Why don't you come too? So he said, okay. And now he's a preacher. It all started from what I would consider a really corny question to ask someone. But it wasn't corny to him, and it wasn't corny at that moment. Just share. However you do it, just share. Talk about your faith. Talk about Jesus. Let other people know about him. Now here's my question for us. Is Jesus too simple for me? Is it that I want to make him more complex than his call really is? He's complex as a, as a being. But his message is simple. Do I really want to follow Jesus? Or am I making excuses to not follow Jesus? Tonight, his message is simple. For those of us who are in Christ, it is to just keep living for Christ, share Christ, trust him, believe in him, follow him. And for those of us who haven't been baptized in him, it's be baptized into him. And then follow him and live for him and love him and love other people and put him first. Tonight, come as we stand and sing.